Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, it's a Thrill Seekers reunion on Talk is Jericho. Lance Storm and I together again, and today you'll hear the story of our first meeting, our wrestling school experience at the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp, and our early days in what was almost Stampede Wrestling. Lots of funny stories about ideas for our characters, our gimmicks, our first name, our first wrestling name, uh, what I refused to do as a gimmick when they, when they told me, you must do this. So many cool stories about the early years of Storm and Jericho from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I've also got Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. We're going to talk about Sunday's WWE Fastlane pay-per-view, the matches, what was good, what was bad, and what they all mean leading up to WrestleMania 31. And that brings me to the reason why I could be in WrestleMania 31. Maybe I will be. You never know. And I can do this because I can still perform in the ring thanks to Diamond Dallas Page and DDP Yoga. But listen, you don't have to be a wrestler or even a professional athlete to do DDP Yoga. Check out Alex Fan Backer, he's at AP Fan EB on the Twitter. He hit me up at Talk is Jericho, real DDP. I just ordered the Max Pack training for a half marathon. Looking forward to adding this hashtag. Bang! That's what I'm talking about. Bang! DDP Yoga is amazing no matter what age, what your fitness level is, what your sex is, yes please, or what you've been training for, you don't even have to be training. You could just be wanting to get in better shape and live a healthier life. DDP and DDP Yoga can make that real for you. They can make it real and easy for you. DDP has everything covered, especially if you get the Max Pack. Check this out. You get all the workouts on DVD. You get a grid chart to track your progress. You get a poster to help you remember the 12 core positions of DDP Yoga. You get recipes so you can get on a healthy eating plan. Everything you need to get in the best shape of your life. You get all the workouts in MP3 as well so you can exercise on the go. You do DDP Yoga wherever you want, wherever you are. That's what I do. I do it in hotel rooms. I do it when I'm on the road uh, in the back of the Fozzie tour bus. I do it in dressing rooms. I do it backstage at Fozzie shows and WWE shows. That's the beauty of DDP Yoga. You don't have to go anywhere. Anywhere. So, do you want to be a part of this? Because you're a sexy beast. The talk is Jericho. DDP and DDP Yoga have a special offer just for you. DDPYoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage of the special offer only available to you guys. DDPYoga.com slash Jericho. But this offer is not going to last forever. I want you to go to DDPYoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage of it now. You can also find this great deal by going to PodcastOne.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Then you hit the talk is Jericho button. I want you to get in the best shape of your life. DDP wants you to get in the best shape of your life. DDPyoga.com can guarantee that you will. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is 
welcome to Talk is Jericho. This is the Pot of Thunder and Rock and Roll. The spell you're under has been broken by Chris Jericho. The remedy for boredom has arrived. Let's go for a ride. And today I sat down in person with my first friend that I ever met in the wrestling business. My first tag team partner I ever had in the wrestling business. Lance Storm. It's a thrill seekers reunion. It's a sudden impact reunion. And this conversation was so big we had to split it into two parts. You get the first hour today. Second hour on Friday. So today you hear how we met. Talk about our first match, the ideas for our first gimmicks and characters, the good, the bad, and the ridiculous, and the cheesy. We get into our early days with what used to be Stampede Wrestling. It turned into to the CNWA, Canadian Northern Wrestling Alliance, something like that. A lot of laughs and great stories coming up with Lance. I know he's been on other podcasts, but you ain't never heard Lance Storm like he is today. All right? And plus, in just a minute, I got my good friend Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter on the line to talk about WWE Fastlane pay-per-view, the good, the bad, the results, and where it all leads to for WrestleMania. And right now, I gotta say thanks to you for listening to Talk is Jericho twice this week. And thanks to all the sponsors who make that possible, including Amazon. Big thanks for doing your online shopping through my Amazon links. Easiest way to support this show. Just go to podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Eh? Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show to help us cover production costs. I got links in the USA, in the UK, in the Canada. A eh? get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon. You get the new Fozzie record. Do you want to start a war? You Get my new book and the third New York Times bestseller in my pantheon. The best in the world at what? I have no idea. Get Zach Bagan's book, I Am Haunted. Get the Shawn Michaels book, Wrestling for My Life. So many great things you can buy. Listen, you can buy whatever you want on Amazon. Anything you need at Amazon, it won't cost you anything extra. No hidden fees or challenges. So if you happen to be doing some online shopping, do it through Amazon and do it through my Amazon links to help out this show in the process. You go to podcastone.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Then you hit the Talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it so you can get to those links in one easy click. All right. The WWE Fastlane pay-per-view happened on Sunday night, lots of huge results, lots of upsets, lots of great matches, lots of good angles, lots of ups and downs on that show. And today I've got my pay-per-view consultant, my pay-per-view analyst, my pay-per-view uh, review sidekick Dave Meltzer is here from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. We're going to check out and see what he thinks about the show. All right, we just had the fallout from WWE Fastlane the road to Wrestlemania has begun and on the line my uh, good friend and sidekick for the <laughs> pay-per-view analysis Dave Meltzer is here what's going on Dave not too much how you doing I'm doing good man I'm doing good uh, first off I want to say that I watched Fastlane last night for the first time ever on the WWE Network and it was actually really cool I had it on my laptop and I was kind of walking around the house uh, doing things that I had to do while it was on in the background, and it was it was actually uh, I don't know why more people don't have the network. It's, it would seem like in a couple of years this is going to catch on huge. I mean, it's really convenient, and the price is low. And I mean, I get way more than a ten dollar value out of it every month. I mean, even even throwing in if the pay per view didn't you didn't even think the pay per view was good. Right. There's enough other stuff, and and especially if you're like if you're a fan interested in history, I mean, you can just you know look up 
all those pay-per-views almost like historically going back for, you know, all those years and, and see all kinds of incredible matches. If you're young and want to know what used to happen before, it's incredibly convenient. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was really cool. And I was always, you know, when, you, when it first came out, you heard about the, uh, you know, that there would be a lot of, uh, I guess, interruptions in the service and it would have to be downloading and catching up. But it was it was smooth all the way through. There was maybe one or two 10-second hiccups, but I thought that was pretty, uh, it seems like they've, they've got the technology on track now, too. Yeah, I mean, I always get some complaints, but not that many. The first couple of months, you know, when they were working out the bugs, there were actually a lot of complaints, but... But now, you know, I, I probably only heard from a couple people who had problems with it. And, um, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, even even at worst, every now and then there's a problem. But, but that's just the nature of the beast. Well, absolutely. And you're, you're talking about complaints, and some people from the results of last night from Fast Lane are happy. Some are complaining. Let's start off. What did, what did you think of the pay-per-view as a whole, Dave? I, was, I thought the main event was fantastic. I agree. And um, the rest of the show, I think, was... Uh, well, the Cena match was good, and the Usos match with uh, Tyson, Kidd, and Cesaro I liked a lot. Aside from that, I thought that a lot of the matches disappointed me. Um, some guys didn't get enough time. Some finishes were booked in a way where I was kind of like, oh, what a flat finish. And then, you know, one finish, which was the Goldust match, I mean, there was just a miscue in the finish. Uh, in the Ambrose match, there was a, the bell never rang, although that didn't... You know, I mean, the finish was going to be what the finish is. I, I felt that it was a show in a lot of ways where they made the decision to to not give anything really big until WrestleMania. I mean, as far as like the Dean Ambrose win, which I was kind of expecting on this show. Mm-hmm. Now you can kind of see that it's like, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it on a bigger stage. And I get that, but but it, it, it made for a, a bad finish trying to kind of get past the show in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, I remember back... I mean, remember, I mean, it seems like almost every year that Mania is kind of the the first match or you've had an angle for a while and then finally they meet in the ring. But it, it seems that Cena and Rusev will have a rematch at, at Mania and so will uh, Ambrose and Barrett. Yeah. I mean, that's... And, and that's fine. You know, I mean, because you, you are going to have a lot of first-time matches. Sting and Triple H is obviously a first-time match. Undertaker and Bray Wyatt's a first-time match. Mm-hmm. Lesnar and Reigns is a first-time match. Yeah, well, let's talk about the, the Reigns and, and Daniel Bryan match. I mean, I thought that that was by far the best Roman Reigns match that I've ever seen. And I really, and, and you know, from, from last time when we talked, that I'm a fan of, of Reigns. At least I believe in the concept of giving him a try and giving him all the, uh, the chances. And I think last night he, he looked really good and did a pretty damn good job in that match. Uh, obviously, Daniel Bryan being the ring general, though. Yeah, I... I um... I just, I just think that, uh, you know, that, that the fans really are still behind Daniel Bryan. It's a tough thing, and I don't know that it, it helped Reigns in the sense that if there's people who are going like, well, he can't have a good match. I mean, clearly he had a great match, but at the same time, it was with a very different type of person mm-hmm. and, and a very different type of match than he'll probably have with Lesnar. But, um, yeah, as far as a singles match with Roman Reigns, I thought it was way above anything I've seen from him so far. And, and uh, I, yeah, I mean, to me, that, that, that really made the show because without it, I wasn't that hot on the show. But, you know, you can't, to me, if you have a match that good, you can't say the show's anything but at least average, you know, or better than average. And you know what's interesting, too? I mean, you've been watching wrestling for a long time as of I and actually being in the ring for, for 25 years. I always love it when they do things that I haven't seen before and things where I go like, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? You know, um, the spear into the small package was something that I was, I remember I did that with Edge once where I leapfrogged him and then did a roll up, but the actual small package spear, like I love 
stuff like that where you never have seen that before. If you have, it's not very often. Yeah, and the other one too is just like when you see moves like that, that you don't expect you. You know, it, it, it heightens your idea that that may be the finish because right. it's so and it was so well timed. It's so well timed, and also too, whenever uh, I still put together matches this way. If there was going to be a finish that was kind of, if Daniel Bryan was going to win that match, chances are it wouldn't be with a tap out or, or with you know an actual finish. It would be with something quick. So when you see that, you're like, this could be the finish because if if, if Vince was going to book Daniel Bryan to beat Roman Reigns, it would be with the uh, the quote unquote quick one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was as close to buying as I was going to get. I mean, in that entire match with with that one move, um, I think that um, it was kind of funny because. I think that with the with the uh, the first knee, which I you know I, I just figured that there you know that was going to be a kick out. Mm-hmm. I I had the impression well, there was someone actually in the room with me who's a booker on a local level, and he just goes, "Okay, the finish is going to be the knee," and the guy and, and Roman Reigns spears him when he goes for the knee, which was exactly what it was. So it's kind of it was kind of almost hilarious, right? Um, but as soon as he went for that knee, we're all everyone we were all going like, "Oh my God, it's the spear! This is the finish!" type of thing. So it was kind of. Um, you know, interesting to watch, but um, but I, I thought it was a great finish because again, I don't remember that spot before. I mean, I'm sure it's been done, but it's not like I've seen it like every month in WWE or anything like that, where it's the, you know Daniel Bryan goes for the knee and gets speared. Right. I think he's pretty much been almost 100 percent on that knee finish anyway. I think that was the first kick out, and then the second one was you know a different kind of cross up of it than than they've ever done. Well, it's always easy to play armchair booker go as well and go, "Oh, I predicted that finish. I knew that was going to be the finish." It's so obvious. I remember uh, the last pay-per-view match I had it was actually in Nashville with Orton and the finish we had like a really cool match and the finish was I climbed up the top rope and jump off and he hits me with the RKO and I was like, "Oh, everyone knew you." He was I called that. I'm like, "Come on. Did you really call or did you think mm-hmm. that you saw it or did you call 10 other finishes that didn't work out, you know?" Um I, I thought that the 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 Reigns match like you said, it was the best they could have done and and they 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 faced it head on. Which is, you know, classic Vince. It's like, okay, some people are cheering for Daniel Bryan, and there's a few people cheering for Reigns, a few people booing. Okay, let's put them head to head, face to face, and get rid of that right away. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is they did still, for the most part, and I mean, it was a mixed reaction. It wasn't 100%, but certainly by the end, it was close to 90% for Daniel Bryan. That's the one thing I'm, is like, man, the people are really speaking pretty loud, mm-hmm. and, and, and Vince. You know, and I get I get where Vince comes from because it's it's the whole thing of, uh, you know, he's he's not looking at just this WrestleMania. And I think someone even explained it to me and goes, look, when you really look at this whole thing, it's like this this dates back to Brock Lesnar beating Undertaker to set up, you know, the next right. big star. And for Vince to change that, that would you know, in his mind, negate the the whole idea of Brock Lesnar beating Undertaker, which was the biggest finish, you know, in years. So that's probably why. He was going to stick to this direction no matter mm-hmm. what. But on the flip, on the flip side, it, it's like you know, Reigns is, is is not super hot. He didn't like even in that match. At no point did it feel to me like okay, this is the guy who's going to be in the the babyface in the main event at WrestleMania on the month before. You know, you always have that big anticipation reaction. And and Brian felt a lot more like that than Reigns during this match. So it was it was almost like well, I mean, I I get that the idea it's the the long term thing. On the flip side, I'm going you know like. God, the people are, are, you know, ever since the guy came back, the people are, are giving you this message. But, you know, so, I mean, that's the decision he had to make. But I think that it, it you know, so, you know, like I said, it probably goes right back to that Undertaker finish going, like, if I don't do this, then what have I done with the Undertaker finish? The whole idea of that is to, to create a new superstar 
and you know, for mm. whatever the reason, whatever the reason, Daniel Bryan's not that guy to him, and then Roman Reigns is. That's a really good point. It would almost be like, uh, uh, in a roundabout way, almost a loyalty issue to The Undertaker in that, okay, take, you know, because we all know Vince called it and, and Undertaker went along with it, but it, but it was Vince's call. And he said, this is going to be the guy who we are going to groom for a year to beat the guy who beat you. And to change that, I wonder, you know, because Vince has said that, that Undertaker's his favorite character, the loyalty and, and then the, the, the way he was able to kind of embrace that whole gimmick. I wonder if, if there was some loyalty back where, where Vince was thinking, not only can I not change the plans just for so many other reasons, but the bottom line is I told Undertaker that Reigns was going to be the guy who beats Brock, who was the guy that beat you, and I can't turn my back on that. I don't know if that happened, but, but it's, it's, it, 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 it's possible whether he told him or not. I, I mean, I, don't, I have no idea. But it, it obviously was the idea in his head when he did it was that, you know, we're going to have this long run with, with, with Brock, you know, because Brock was originally going to beat Daniel Bryan for the championship at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then they would go with Roman Reigns from there. And the idea was, you know, like John Cena is going to be the top guy. He'll always be, you know, the top guy. But they, they wanted a guy to be, you know, a new champion. I mean, and, 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 and it's time, without a doubt, it's time to create a guy, another superhero, you know. Well, yeah. Um, and 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 he's the pick, and you know what I mean. He's got things going for him. Why he would be the pick, Daniel Bryan. I mean, I you know it's 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 one of those things where Daniel Bryan kind of snuck up on you in a lot of ways, even though he's been on top for a while. And but I I, I you know do we need is, does it have to be a superhero? Can it just be an everyman that the people love? And and could he fit in that position? And 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 I think he can. But I you know so that's where I was like I think maybe he can. And he had so much momentum between. You know, sports teams doing the yes thing right. and, and all that. That, that. that there was a mainstream thing, and I don't know that Reigns will have that. Um, so, uh, you know, I can, I can certainly question it, that's for sure. But, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he had told Undertaker that at the beginning, then he probably, actually, there probably was no way he was going to ever switch it. Well, and that's something that I think that it's easy for people to pontificate and say, he should have done this, he should have done that. But if it boils down to that, there's no way. And plus, like you said, I mean, Reigns still has to find himself, but for fans to really get into him, there has to be a little bit of a non-stop push, not a start-stop push. So now we're yep. going to see. He's, he's got his chance. Uh, you did mention John Cena, and, we, and, and, and obviously with the Rusev match, which was uh, you know the classic Cena fall, uh, goes unconscious and, and can't tap out, but, but, but Rusev wins. I always love the fact, and I'll say this from being in the ring with him dozens of times, that Cena takes a lot of flack. You know, five-move Cena and blah, blah, blah. He rarely, if ever, has a bad match, especially on a pay-per-view. Well, he works really hard. Yes. I mean, he, you know, it's like, it's like the guy at the top, you know, has to kind of set the pace for the company in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, in, in modern wrestling especially, the guy at the top has to work extra hard because the guys, you know, the guys climbing are all working hard because they want to be in his spot. Mm-hmm. And, he, and you've got you know, to have that respect because if, if, you're, if you're cakewalking it while these other guys are, are, are doing it, it's going to breed a lot of resentment. And even in that spot anyway, you're going to get some resentment. But, yeah, he always works hard, whether hurt or not, and I'm sure he's hurt, you know, more than anyone knows most of the time. And it's just, you know, it's just the, na- but that, that's the nature of the beast. But you, you don't see him, you know, on, on a big show, I, I, I always expect him to have a good match, and he, you know, almost always does, yeah. What do you think they, where do they go now for, for WrestleMania? Some kind of a gimmick match, or what do you think? I think so. I don't know. I was thinking maybe, maybe like an I Quit match, mm-hmm. perhaps. 
um, or some, you know, or, or they could have some just some idea of something. But yeah, I, I expect a, a gimmick match with those two. Um, they've kept Rusev clean, you know, with no pins and submissions anywhere, house shows anything for yeah. a year. And obviously, you know, there's a, there's, there's, that's going to end at some point, And maybe the, maybe this is maybe, you know, WrestleMania is perhaps the place it can. Um, at the same time, you know, there's the, the flip side is, is that if, if Reigns is winning the championship from Lesnar, Rusev is probably as far as on the heel side goes, the freshest, strongest guy he could go against. Yeah. So maybe him beating Cena again, because you know Cena can, you know Cena can lose, and he's going to be fine no matter what. That that maybe beating Cena again would be the catalyst of this battle, you mm-hmm. know, like maybe to build for a SummerSlam main event, or or perhaps before SummerSlam, because maybe Lesnar will be back by SummerSlam. But something like you know, but but you know, something for the next couple of pay-per-views where, uh, you know, you have yeah. those two against each other. And what and what a feather in Rusev's cap that would be beats John Cena, the, you know, one of the greatest of all time, twice in a row, which I don't think we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, one of the problems that they had, and I remember this with Warrior, when Warrior was champion, uh, is that they had no fresh opponents set up for Warrior, and so he kind of floundered. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this way, if you have this guy who's beaten John Cena twice, and, and Roman Reigns and, uh, and Rusev have worked on some house shows and done some DQs, but they were, and, and I, there may have been a TV match here and there, but never really a high profile match, never an extended feud. So it's a fresh match, and it's and it's a real strong heel. It's a strong heel as they've got right now. So I, I you know, I like that direction. Let's talk about uh, a couple of the non-matches that were on the show. There's two pretty big angles, and I thought both of them were really well done. Uh, talking about the Undertaker coming back, obviously to, to to work with Bray Wyatt. I thought that was a pretty good segment. I thought I kind of got Wyatt back on track. He has a tendency sometimes with his promos to get a little bit meandering. But I thought with all the, the pomp and circumstance and everything, that, that worked out pretty good, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing, too, is it, it, it you know, I think some people were figuring on it, you know, with the, with the promos that they've done. Right. This, like, it's now, everyone knows, I mean, this is absolutely where we're going, and we are getting The Undertaker back at WrestleMania, and uh, it's a new match, and, uh, you know, and, it's, and, it's a, and I think the other thing is, is it's a question, because it's like, do you beat The Undertaker two years in a row? Probably not, but, but you know, how many more matches does the Undertaker have left? Probably not many. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would have to say that Taker has to win this because you know, after all the big brouhaha about him losing, I would see him having to to win because if he loses again, then he just you know some more of the mystique is gone. I would have to say that Taker has to beat Wyatt if he's going to come back and do another match. Yeah, I think so anyway, and I think that they may do the retirement match in in Texas. You know, next year's WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty much the fitting place. So, um, who do you think? Uh, who do you think he'll? Is, is there an opponent that you think he would face? Do you think it'd be an old an old time favorite? I think they'd build somebody new. I don't know. Hard to say, know. right? It's, it's 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 too soon. It's too soon to say. I know. I was always wondering about that. Uh, and then the other one, of course, was was the Triple H Sting angle. And it's so funny to me because H even alluded to it. But in about two weeks, and especially last night, in about ten minutes, Sting is now more hot and more relevant in the one night than he was in ten years of TNA. Well, that's the difference between <laughs> the two companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was um, was interesting to me is that he didn't talk. And I mean, you could and you can debate that either way. I hope he does get to talk though, um, because the one thing about the, the Sting's TNA run that that some people didn't see is that his talking improved greatly during that run. Because in WCW, he always had that mystique and everything right. like that. 
and um, you know, very very charismatic guy. But his his promos were were okay, sometimes good. But in TNA, his promos actually got great, mm. and I don't think a lot of people. Uh, um, well, I mean, a lot of people have, but I don't know that anyone. Um, you know, I don't know that anyone. Uh, what am I going to say? That uh, people would that see everyone that. hasn't seen that because a lot of people didn't see him in TNA. Yeah, I mean, but I love the. You know, I thought maybe okay, Triple E's going to beat him down, blah, blah blah. But I love just the silent with the bat. I mean, that kind of harkens back to that '98 uh, Sting Crow character where he was hiding in the rafters for like a year and didn't really do much. And that was kind of Sting's peak, and it's smart of them to, to, to kind of revisit that. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times they try to like reinvent somebody that's already been invented. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they went right back to like, really, that was the hottest period Sting ever had. And they went, you know, with the dark coat and the bat and, they, and the same face paint and the same face. I mean, one thing I got to say for Sting, and, and I saw him at uh, SummerSlam, mm-hmm. is... You know, he really, I mean, what, I don't know what he's drinking, but he did find the fountain of youth. I mean, <laughs> if you see him in person, he does not look 55 years old. Or 50, 56. Or wow. Old. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, it's like he, he looks to me like somebody who you would go as a really fit 40-year-old guy. And it's not like, you know, when he was in there, you're going like that old guy in there with Triple H. I mean, he really, you know, it, it'll, you know I'm, the match will be fine. I don't know, it'll be, it, won't, it won't be the, the, the show stealer. But I'm not, I'm not worried about that match at all for what it'll be. Well, I mean, and Sting is one of those guys, he, I've always found he works up to the level of the guy that he's in the ring with. You know, he, he can have really good matches and has many, many times. And obviously Triple H, especially as a big show player, is one of the best. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know Triple H is going gonna, is gonna, to, they're going to work real hard on it. And, um, and it is kind of a magic moment because it is his first WWE match. And it could be his only WWE match, depending on, on how it goes. I mean... The, the mentality was he would do one, and then after that, who knows? Right. It's not like it's like he'll never do another one, and it's one and done. But it could be only one, and it, it will, you know, and again, you know, after all these years, it, it's the, the first one. Well, I mean, and once again, I don't know how they do it every year, but it's shaping up to be a pretty exciting WrestleMania. There's a, there's a couple matches already that I'm interested in, I'm excited about, and obviously with that crowd in there and the atmosphere, it seems like this early on, they're already kind of set themselves up really, really well. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, they've got stuff going. It's still not uh, where I would want it to be, but um, How do you they've, mean? Got five, they've got five weeks of television to get. I, I think it's missing, it's, to me it's missing that one super match when you think of that classic WrestleMania and that great, great main event, and I don't think Lesnar and Reigns is that match. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you don't have the, the Rock match or something like that. But um, as far as the depth of the show, I mean, you know, it's, everyone's going to work hard, and... Uh, uh, you know, the other one is the, the big question that I have is, is where does Daniel Bryan fit into this match? Yeah, I was just going to ask. I was just going to ask you that. I mean, what are his options? Ziggler, Sheamus. Well, Ziggler got beat by got pinned in that match, which surprised That's me. Right, I thought yeah. that they would that, that they could beat Rowan or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, Sheamus is a name, you know, who, who you know he's been promoted on TV. He's obviously coming back. You know, I was I was hoping it was you, but I know you know what I mean <laughs> because it's like I know you can have a great match with him, and it's it's you know a match that. You, you know, you haven't had that super classic match with him. Um, no. You know, you, you've wrestled him a few times, but never never on this kind of a stage. No, we had one really good six-minute match in his first night in NXT. And just so you know, last year I did pitch uh, Jericho and Daniel Bryan before his ascension when he was supposed to be wrestling with Sheamus. And I called Vince. I'm like, let me work with Brian. He's like, well, I don't know. He goes, both baby face. And I said, it's not going to matter. Who, the, 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 you know, the wrestling fans, quote-unquote, will love it. 
And he was thinking about it, and then, of course, Punk went out, and then Daniel started getting huge, and that was kind of the end of that. So, I mean, that would be a great match to have you know, you know anybody with Daniel Bryan in WrestleMania, but I would love to do that. But um, just the fact we're talking about it tells you that I won't be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, it's always great to have you on, man. I look forward to uh, to next month. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again. You'll, we'll uh, have a, a monthly pay-per-view uh, BS session. Awesome, thanks. Hey, what was your uh, what was your best match yesterday? Oh, the main event by far. I agree. I agree. By, by far, by far. I thought it, it. You know, like I said, it it saved the show. Um, you know, um, couldn't have been better. All right, Dave. Thanks, man. Okay, thanks. Talk to you soon. All right, you too. Bye. All right, thanks again to Dave. Make sure you go to WrestlingObserver.com to get all the information on Dave's amazing award-winning newsletter. It is the best in the world. Go check it out. Coming up, also I want you to check out part one of the Thrill Seekers reunion featuring my former tag team partner, Lance Storm. He was with me through many runs through the years. Uh, and I got a run going on right now. It's almost over. Crazy to believe that the Y2J WWE Winter Tour is done almost. Only three days left. February 27th, Friday in Madison Square Garden in New York City. Saturday, Toronto on the 28th. And then, of course, March 1st, Buffalo, New York. And that is it. That's all, she wrote. Bye. I'm done. Bye. I'm finished. Bye. No more matches for a long, long time. Or it could be a week. Who knows with me? But you know for sure I'll be in MSG Toronto and Buffalo. Come on by and check it out and say hi to me. I'm, uh, I need you, baby. I need to see you. I need to say hi. I need, to, I, need, I need your love. 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 I need Robin Zander on this podcast. Robin Zander lives in Tampa, right? I should get him down here. Yeah, of course he does. All right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. All right, so we're here uh, at the uh, Storm Wrestling Academy with uh, with my oldest friend in the wrestling business, Lance Storm. Yeah, we met uh, before either of us knew what we were doing. Well, be, be, like on not even that. On the first day I got into Okotoks, you were the first guy I met back in 1990. Uh, unfortunately, I met the others first. <laughs> um, I was actually ready to quit. Well, not quit the business, but I was looking at changing my flight to go home. Well, so, so why is that? Because when you showed up, what happened? There was bunch of skinny kids a couple of fat kids not a single person that looked athletic or even tough <laughs> and i'm like what am i doing here and i had looked into the power plant before i came out here mm-hmm. so i was in the back of my mind going can i still get into atlanta i gotta look at getting out of here there's this is a joke <laughs> and then i met you and it's like oh here's another guy <laughs> well i mean let before we we go to that it's funny because to be you know here in your in your school I mean, it's it's impressive. Like you walk in the front door, and you've got your you know your pictures are on the wall, and you've got the big Survivor Series banners, and you know the World of Hurt thing, and like this looks like uh, oh yeah, the uh, famous you just pointed up at the wall, the famous WrestleMania banner that has me uh, WrestleMania t- uh, was what was that sixteen? I think so, yeah. And it is uh, Big Show, Rock, Triple H, and Jericho, and then about a month later, Vince replaced Jericho with Mick Foley. 
Oh, and you've got the other one over I've got there. The other ones. <laughs> I've got proof that you were in the main event originally. <laughs> Where did you get these uh, big banners? Um, I got them from Danny Davis, who ran OVW, okay. which was the WWE developmental system yeah. when I was teaching. So when I decided to quit teaching for WWE and open Storm Wrestling Academy. I asked Danny, it's like, do you think the office would give me some of these banners? Because he had a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you don't have to get it from them. He says, I've got extras. Um, because these are the WWF ones. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And so when they got the F out, they told him, take all the old ones down, put up new ones. So he had all the old ones. He's like, you just have mine if you want. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed them because it's just it's great atmosphere. Great atmosphere. And what my point was earlier is that when you walk in here, this looks like a, like a, like a wrestling academy. Like you want to learn how to wrestle here. The exact opposite of <laughs> what we had when we showed up for our wrestling camp, which was basically um, a, a pink bowling alley. <laughs> the big pink building, yeah. <laughs> the Silver Dollar Action Center back yeah. then, and bowling alley. It's still here. Yeah, they, they, they still, still run wrestling shows there. Wow. The, the local PWA wrestling show um, runs at, which is now the Century Casino, same building. Okay. So no longer pink. <laughs> um, it's the other side of the building now because the casino is where we used to run. Right, because there was a casino, a bowling alley, and then kind of in the back room was where they stuck the wrestling. Yeah, although it wasn't even a casino when we were there. Oh, it it wasn't? No, it had a bar, a lounge, the bowling alley, and then two big banquet rooms. Oh. And there was the big one that, because again, Chris and I, I think both signed up for uh, Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp when Stampede was still around. Mm. A great place to get started. Send them our money, and then Stampede closes down, (laughs) and we we show up anyway. Um, But CNWA took over after Stampede. They ran the big room and the small banquet room, um, Keith um, and Ed, um, for those who have read Jericho's book, you know, the sort of dynamic with uh, Keith yeah, and Ed. Keith Hart was the only Hart that showed up at Hart Brothers Camp, and then Ed Langley was the official kind of day-to-day running the yeah. school. Opened the doors, got us in, got, got things done, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and we were in the smaller room, which was really just a big empty room with a ring in it. Yeah. Um, which and I guess technically that's what this is, but it's. Uh, <laughs> but here, at least in this room, you can stand on the top rope and not have your head touch the ceiling. Yes, you can. You remember can... we could actually when you first start balance yourself on like the very uh, unstable ceiling that you, if you if you punched it like the the, t- the tiles would come out. Yeah, the T bar ceiling right. that you hang. You could you could use your balance on it, um, which made it hard to learn the backflips you so desperately wanted to learn. <laughs> well, but let, let's let's talk about how you ended up at Hart Brothers in the first place. You know, you grew up uh, in North Bay, Ontario, as a wrestling fan. Yeah, although not till probably. 84, 85 is when I started being a wrestling fan. So I was already a teenager, probably 14 or 15 years old. Yeah. Which was later, but I, I had, um, I guess I first got hooked on, would have been AWA. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad hated wrestling. You're not watching that shit. It's fake. But I kind of had an interest, and I was flipping channels one day. It was like the day after I'd watched the movie The Road Warrior. Um, and I was a huge mark for the movie The Road Warrior. Big jacked up dudes that looked crazy. It was like, wow, awesome. <laughs> And I was flipping channels, and Ken Resnick, I think, was pitching to commercial break with Up Next After the Break, The Road Warriors. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I stopped, and I watched the Hawk and Animal come out and beat the holy hell out of two dudes. And from that point, it's like, it's 1 o'clock on a Saturday. I need to be here again next Saturday <laughs> at 1 o'clock. Okay, so then, so as you get older, you're in high school, you go into college. You were actually a really accomplished volleyball player. Well, I, I played at un- the university level. Okay. Um, I, I was far from a star at the university level because I was just too short. Oh, really? Um, so well, volleyball is based more on taller guys? Yeah. I would say probably average height for volleyball players is, you know, 6'4 to 6'8, oh, 6'10. Okay. So me at 5'11 and a half, mm-hmm. um, a little bit. But that's where my leaping ability came from. Um, but I really liked the game, played it through to my first year of university. 
wasn't happy in university, primarily because I hated my volleyball coach. Um, so Coach Don Smith from uh, Wilfrid Laurier <laughs> University, I have you to thank for getting me into the wrestling business. But yeah, so I became a bigger fan throughout high school, had just friends that were nuts with it. We actually drove down to Atlantic City for WrestleMania 4 and 5. Oh, wow. You know, it was like a, I don't know, like a 14 or 15 hour drive. So I was in the building for 4 and 5. And then by then, when I wasn't happy in university, I think in the back of my mind, I sort of wanted to try this. Uh-huh. And my roommate at the time, oh, what was his name? Bruce McGregor. My grades were getting lower because I was a good student. Um, I was my grade, losing interest. Yeah. And my, my grades were getting lower and I was struggling. And he's the one that pulled me aside. He's like, have you ever thought that maybe your grades are dropping because you want them to and force yourself to make this decision? Hmm. And I went, you know what? You're right. And so I went and talked to the school, and they're like, if you get out now, you can always come back. Your grades are good enough. But if they drop any more, we're just going to throw you out. <laughs> so I'm like, see ya. <laughs> and off I was to get into wrestling. And I, I looked into Power Plant Atlanta, the Hart Brothers uh, in Calgary. My stepdad um, was the one that looked into it. He actually called, actually got through to Jack Tunney in the WWE offices wow. in Toronto and spoke to him with how does one get into wrestling? Well, because also, too, just keep in mind, this is like the late 80s, probably 89 or so. There's no internet to go on. There's no, I mean, you know, dirt sheets or if there was, we didn't know about them. So how do you even find out where the wrestling schools are? Um, I think I probably found the, um, the Hart one in, you know, a Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. Illustrated ad. But he found the others. He's, he was always a, a go-to business guy that you just get on the phone, you make calls, you find Find stuff yeah, that's out. That's how it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And he got put through to Jack Tunney. <laughs> and Jack Tunney told him we get all of our pro wrestlers from the amateur ranks. And so <laughs> so when my stepdad told me that, I'm like, he's lying to you. He's like, really? He's like, yeah. I said, they've got, you know, there might be one or two guys that have got an amateur background. Maybe, but, yeah. But that's not where they get them. So he called him back and called him on his lie and was eventually told, sir, I would just as soon not talk to you anymore and was hung up on. Wow. Yeah. And in so the, no like uh, advice or find a school or nope nothing. See, it was such a closed business even then. Yeah, because that would have been mid to late eighty nine. Yeah, and yeah, it was you. They wanted to make people believe that it was real. So if you're a pro, you come from the amateurs. So that's what they told me. And in the back of my mind, um, I always wanted to because I was always more an NWA fan than a WWF that's fan. That's right. Yeah, because I like the, the the harder sport end of it. In the back of my mind, on that day, I always hoped that there'd be the chance that I would be offered a WWE job and have a chance in WCW and be able to look at Jack Tunney and say, you know, sir, I just as soon not bother and walk out on him. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah, and, and, and no, that was why. But yeah. uh, Jack Tunney didn't last long after that. And when WWE called, I didn't turn them down. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what gave you the final decision to, or the, to go to the Hart Brothers instead of going to the power plant? Um, Two things. I didn't have to worry about immigration going to the States. Right, yeah. um, I wasn't blessed with dual citizenship. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other thing was, too, Stampede Wrestling was still around. It had a rep for smaller guys, you know, Dynamite. Uh, Pillman had been through there. A lot of really yeah, good. Japanese guys, English guys. It was a faster, younger, smaller, junior heavyweight style place. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, this is probably a good place to get in because I was very realistic. Because in 1989, again, a hair under six foot, I was 215. That was really small. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it was like... It was, sure it was. Because I remember at the time, probably the year before, it was when the Rockers first went to WWE, and it's like every story in the wrestling magazines are, are they too small for the WWE? Yeah. And I'm like, they're about my size. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a real size issue. So Stampede seemed appealing. I could stay in Canada. Um, so that's where I decided to go um, to Hart Brothers. Did you drive out there? 
I flew. You flew out there. Everything I owned into one duffel bag. I had never even been on a commercial flight before. Really? I had been on two small private planes, but never on a commercial flight. Um, and there was the, the hookup that uh, Ed hooked us all up with was the Okotoks Inn, uh, nicknamed the Willie. And, and, let, and let's explain this. So Calgary, obviously, is a big city. We're in Calgary now. Okotoks at the time was about 40 minutes south of Calgary, north, no, yeah. not north, south. South. It's south. It's only about 10 minutes south now because the city's Cause, grown. Cause it's grown so much. But it was, but it was a, a small little half hour, yeah. tiny little bedroom community. It was probably only, what, 5,000, 7,000 yeah, people? Yeah, it was 5,000 people at the time. One hotel in town called the Willingdon, also known as the Willie. Yeah, which is still there. <laughs> <laughs> but, I think it was also pink. I think there's, it might have been. Yeah, there was like a real theme of pink going on around here. And your first and pair of tights were, were pink too. Yeah, although those I had made before I even got into the business. We won't even discuss why. Uh, but yeah, and the, it was weird. The camp was in Calgary, but Ed, the guy that ran it, lived in Okotoks. And the camp used to be in Okotoks. So he had a deal at the Okotoks Inn for, hey, you can rent a room. I think it was $400 a month. Yes. And when you're living in you know Ontario, it's like, okay, I've got a place. Great. So I flew out, and oddly <laughs> enough, I just remembered this. I had, there were actually a pair of safety glasses my dad had got from somewhere that were pink. And I was going to get them tinted to make them into sunglasses, but I never did. But I still, I had those on me when I, when I flew out here. So there is a real pink theme. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, also, too, is, is the fact that um, it was such a small town. And we're talking about the Willie, 400 bucks a month. I mean, think about that. That's, I mean, you're better at math than me. That's like, what, 13 bucks a day? <laughs> and, you know, and there was no phones in the rooms. No, there was a payphone in the, the hall. Payphone in the hall that someone would be like, you know, hey, Chris, you got to call. And they run down the hallway and get on the payphone because everybody in the camp lived at the Willie, basically. Yeah, except the two guys that lived in Calgary that were Calgarians. Yeah. There was the Ron Bell guy. Right. You know, he died. Eh? I know, I heard he died. Yeah, yeah he got shot. Um, and then the other guy that quit. The day we took the face bump, flare bump, yeah. he, kept, he quit. He just couldn't handle it. Yeah, it was. I remember always thinking that this camp, I think it started with like 17 or 18, and every day there was one less. It was like watching a Friday the 13th movie with the campers where they just disappear one by one. And the one guy you're talking about, he took a front face bump, got up, walked out of the ring, walked out the door, and we never saw him again. And Ed told me later that he had been in a previous camp and quit at the same spot. Wouldn't they call him like Jimmy Ignatowski? Yeah, he looked like the guy from Taxi. From Taxi That's yeah. right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Ignatowski. So, so on my end, uh, I drive out. I had, I had a car that cost me $400, a 76 Ferrari. <laughs> drove us around quite a bit. Love that car. Uh, you have a classic car. Drove out to Calgary because I had come out the summer before with my dad to scout it out. And at that time, the camp was actually in the kind of a a garage behind the Petro station. Oh, the the neighbor's gas station on yeah, the corner. Yeah, neighbor's but gas station. I worked station. there afterwards. We worked there, but it had a different name. Yep. And there was so we w pulled up and walked in there, and it was like a smaller version of this of your place here. It did have pictures on the walls, and it did have you know Owen Hart and the Sun and whatever that girl's name that was here for a while, Miss Cherry or Miss sexy or whatever she was up on the wall and a couple of weights and it was small and smelly but it was like wow and keith hart was in there and, and my dad and i went to you know we want to come next summer and and i remember he was wearing a super tight shirt to try and show off <laughs> and so when i came back the next summer they had moved the camp into calgary but still go to the willie because i remember i had written ed a letter 
to get in. No email back then. No email. And it was, you know, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to run three miles a day. You need to eat uh, nothing but steak, fish, vegetables, and egg whites. And you need to, you know, lift weights two hours a day. Like just throwing darts at the wall. Did you get a, a letter like that too? I probably did. I don't recall. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and for those of you, Ed, I think he refereed a little bit legitimately yeah. for Stampede. But he was a 55-year-old dude. Um, yeah, he told everybody he was sixty-five. Yeah, he, he actually claimed he was older. Yeah, there was a, an article they did on him when he was running the camp that got a misprint. Right. They accidentally said he was sixty-five, and he got so much positive feedback with "Wow, you look so good for your age! I can't believe you're still doing this at sixty-five." That it became his gimmick. And he never, he never told us that. Never told anybody. And I think he found his driver's license one day or something. I, yeah, I think there was a point where. Again, maybe he was 60 and only 50, he was really 50 and said he was 60, but there was a couple years later when he turned 65, everyone was expecting him to retire. And he had to come up with a reason why he couldn't retire. And then, yeah, I ended up seeing his driver's license and I'm doing the math going, wait a minute here. He's yeah. a decade younger. <laughs> so, I, uh, but I pulled up at the, at the Willie and see this uh, hotel and it was like trains, planes, and automobiles when the train breaks <laughs> down and John Candy's got the big trunk. Remember, I actually had a trunk, a trunk. Yep. and I was pulling the trunk out of my trunk and uh, having some problems because it's once again got all my you know worldly possessions in it. And I'm trying to pull it out, and this guy comes over to help me, and I look, and it's like, oh, he's, he looks like a nice guy. He's got he's got stick legs and a pot belly, but <laughs> he looks like a, a nice guy. And that was you. Yeah, I who, don't know what I was wearing. But. I, not a pot belly and not stick legs. Best shape out of anybody Although, there. Maybe I had shorts that showed off my my skinny ass ankles and calves. I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe there was yeah maybe there was like a fold in your t shirt or whatever. <laughs> but you actually like hey I'm Lance I'm here hey I'm Chris I'm here and you helped me carry that trunk. So are you John Candy or Steve Martin? <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be Candy. I had the pot the, belly maybe I'm Steve. Well, I think I drove you nuts like John Candy did though. But uh, so you helped me carry that trunk up the steps into the Willie because the there was no elevator. Yeah, up the back, and that was the first day that we met. So you not only. Like I said, my oldest friend in the wrestling business, because you're the first guy I ever met in the wrestling business besides when I was doing ring crew stuff. But as a trying to be a pro was was you. And now going back to what you said at the beginning of this, you had already gotten there and seen this cavalcade of free misfits. misfits. So and you were thinking, I got to get out of here. Yeah, and then I, again, I don't recall the exact moment, but it's I saw you, and it's like, here's a guy that's in shape. He looks like an athlete. <laughs> and in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, he seems to think this is a legitimate place to learn, so maybe it is and maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. So I have no doubt I was running over to help you with that trunk, trying to befriend you as soon as possible. <laughs> well, because I was expecting, like, I'm going to be the smallest guy. And I'd been training hard, and I was probably, you know, like, you know, 195 or so, and had good, good genetics, good body, but I was thinking, I'm going to be dwarfed. And when I walked in the door, like once again, if it wasn't for you, there was a couple tall kind of lumberjack guys and some fat guys, but they're all out of shape and look just like bums, like you said. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, there was, I don't remember his name, but there was the one dude that had the bullet hole in his leg. Dave. Dave. That it, again, he didn't look like a great athlete, but it's like he was a big hoss. You know I mean? Yeah, like, he was okay. tall, about 6'5 or so. Obviously a guy that had been in some fights. It's like, okay, this guy could, yeah, this guy might be able to do the job. Right. And But that was it. Remember I, Paul? He was kind of a, a was Paul in our year? No, the, Paul was the year after. The big beefy Indian guy. Oh, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the there. ace. The, the, the ace? Yeah, he was a big mark for uh, Cowboy Bob Orton. He called himself Ace. That's he, right. Yeah, and then we had another guy that was uh, we called him Boss Man. He was from like Ohio. He was kind of a yeah. big bigger guy. And then there was uh, Edvin Barrel. Edvin Barrel, the, the Toxic Barrel, the toxic who was my roommate. <laughs> That's another thing. I was so pissed at you because you could double up on the rooms and 
yeah. pay half as much, obviously. Yeah. And of course, I was hoping to God it's like a room with you. <laughs> and you got the room at the end of the hall by yourself. I guess you were more financially secure than the rest. Well, of I had saved up all my money, and I think I had cashed some kind of a savings bond. So I had five thousand dollars, and twenty five hundred came out of that for camp because that's what it cost. And then two months at eight hundred, uh, you know, four hundred each. So I think I had like about two grand left. Yeah. So you uh, had the room by yourself. Yeah. So I ended up going with Ed Ed Edvin Barrel, who was just big, huge, uh, built like a barrel, a big, like obese guy, yeah. four hundred pounds from Drumheller, Alberta, kind of a dopey kind of farm guy. Yeah. Although that was my saving grace because he, Drumheller is like two hours from here, and he went home on the weekends. Oh, okay. So I did have that sanity <laughs> respite. Which yeah. is weird because in university I had the same deal. In in residence in university I had a roommate, no idea what his name was, but he lived only two hours away and he went home on weekends. So and just those two days every week of solitude saved my sanity. <laughs> and you also had brought in a VCR with all of your wrestling tapes. Yeah, I didn't bring those. My grandfather came out. Oh, okay. Like a, a month into camp, he, he was driving out because he had actually was stationed here in the military back when McLeod Trail was a dirt road and mm-hmm. stuff. And he's got family out here. So he drove out, I think, in you know middle of July, a couple weeks later. So he brought my VCR and my ridiculously huge tape collection. And all those tapes are in boxes right oh, back wow. there up on shelves. I've dubbed them all the DVDs, and they're all on my still have them, my school library for students to watch. But, yeah, he brought out my, my tapes and my, my VCR. So at least you had something to do, something to watch. Some, yeah, because it was literally you know a tiny little room with the you know the two double beds where they're almost touching the wall on each mm-hmm. side, one nightstand between us, a bathroom and a TV. That no was phone, it. yeah, no phone, nothing. TV I was with right three across channels. from the the payphone in the hall, so yeah. I was like the, the secretary <laughs> of the group. Phone rings, I go out and answer. It's like, is Chris Irvin there, please? I'm like, yeah, hang on, I have to go down the hall <laughs> and bang on your door. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it was like. It was like a big dorm. Uh, and I remember the, the, another guy I met right there was there was there was. Um, Wilfred Barrel, but there were no Edwin Barrel. Wilfred Wilf, who Wilf was Bodoo, or yeah, uh, yeah, guy. His he had like eyes that were pointing in different directions, like cross-eyed or wandering eye. I, th- I think the one went relatively straight, but I, I, if I remember correctly, when he was a kid, he had some kind of surgery and they nicked the muscle or something, so the one eye pointed off in a weird direction. Yeah, so very. He, he always looked like he was looking at the guy beside you when he was talking, was talking to you. It took a while to kind of figure out, oh, he's talking to me. And I remember when he first started hitting the ropes, he would run kind of in a semicircle <laughs> back and forth across he the ring. He was tough, though. He was tough. Remember that Sunset Flip he did? <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, he, Sunset Flip class, and he jumps over the guy and just keeps his face up and goes face first into the floor and folds his entire body over on his neck. I thought for sure the kid broke his yeah, neck. Yeah. And I remember he rolled out of the ring, he's like, got a heartburn <laughs> like heartburn and i i think he walked it off got back in and did it again yeah he was tough he was tough and the thing about him too is he was really small and, and out of shape but all he like and this is the perfect example of knowing your limits all he wanted to do was to be a squash dummy he had no, you know, didn't want to be a star or he wanted to be a squash dummy, which is a guy who at those days you would lose in like 30 seconds on TV. Yeah, and, and to be honest, he probably was the most realistic guy there. Yeah, realistic, yeah. Realistically, it's like where there was other guys that had as much hope as he did that thought they were going to be world heavyweight champion wrestling Hogan. That's right. And even like you ended up, well, I ended up working Hogan too, but you ended up being world champ. And it's like realistically in 1990, a chance of guys our size being oh, world champ would have been absurd. I remember I, I was talking to, to Norman Smiley um, 
a couple of years ago or maybe a year ago, whatever it was. And when I was in Mexico in 92, my first big time match was against Black Magic, Norman Smiley. Because uh, Vampiro and Magic were supposed to have a title match. Vampiro was hurt and they put me in as his replacement in Monterey, Mexico. And, and Magic was like we were talking. He goes, if you would have told me that this guy right here, meaning me, was going to go on and become, you know, six-time world champion. Yeah, what do I, this guy? Him? No way. Him? <laughs> There's no way that guy's going to go be a world champion. You're right, because the industry None changed. Us. Sure it did. It, it did would have been absurd. Because that's another thing, too. Yeah, in 1990, when I told people, I'm sure it was the same with you, you were a little bit bigger than me, but basically both the same size. I was going to be a wrestler. People were laughing. Like, you're, you're too small. Like, you'll never be a wrestler. You're crazy. Yeah, but... Uh, I was fairly realistic because at the time was when Pillman was first making mm -hmm. the Marcus Fly and Brian Pillman in WCW. And he was, I was actually probably heavier than him, but he was leaner and looked better. Yeah. But I was probably his height, a couple pounds heavier, and probably on the Charisma Promo scale, about on par with where he was in 89, not where he ended up <laughs> yeah, being. Yeah. But Fly and Brian in 89 in WCW was not knocking anybody dead on the microphone. That's right. So I'm like, okay, he's making a living. There's a chance I could. And I, mm -hmm. you know, look at, you know, Rock and Roll Express. Okay, I'm better, better built than them. And, you know, the Rockers made it to WB. It's like, okay, I'm about the size of Sean Owen and Hart. Yeah. Owen Hart. So it's like, that's what my goal was, realistically. Because, again, I was really athletic for my size. But, mm -hmm. you know, even when, when Savage won the title at five, it was like, it was a big deal because he was smaller. And he was probably yeah. 250. Yeah, I remember when I met Steamboat at the World of Wheels, I had a chance to ask him a question, trying to think of the question, what am I going to ask him? And when I finally got to the front of the line after like an hour, I asked him, how tall are you? Because to me, I wanted to know, like, how tall is... And he said, I'm about 5'11 five, five, and a half or something like mm -hmm. that. And I was 5'10 and a half, almost 5'11. Now it's in this universe. It's not the six foot eight, mm -hmm. three hundred and fifty pound. You know, it's like Steamboat is telling me he's five eleven. That's yeah. in my world. Well, even um, I wasn't going to go to WrestleMania six. I'd gone to four and five, but then six ended up being in Toronto, and I was living in Kitchener Waterloo at the time, forty five mm -hmm. minutes away. And I had signed up for class already. And the Rockers did an appearance at a mall before Mania 6. And it's like, I went to that, not to get an autograph. I just wanted to get as close right. to them as I could to stand beside him and go, okay, how big am I? Yeah. I used to do that at the gym. Go to the gym across from the Polo Park Inn where the rest was worked out just to see. And obviously, you'd see like a Barbarian and Warlord and Warrior. I mean, those guys were just, I mean, they were all huge. Even yeah. the smaller guys were still, you know, jacked up to the gills. Yeah. But, you, you know, I could talk to Bret Hart in, eye to eye. Coco Beware, I'm taller than him. Yeah. You know, obviously, Coco wearing winning too many big matches, but he's in it. Mm -hmm. He's in it. I can be in it. Yeah. You know, and it's it's still dumbfounds me to the day because it, it's a shame. I don't think it's remembered as big as it should be, but it's like WCW and WWE were the two big, excuse me, places. You know, NWA and WWE. It's like you're the guy that unified those two titles. Yeah, like that's yeah. just absurd to me. That to again, think about that, right? Yeah, the kid lugging his trunk up, staying at the Willie, is the <laughs> guy that unified. And when we were fans and kids, it was. Flair and Hogan, Flair and Hogan, who's the best world champion? Yeah. It's like, you've unified those two titles. The fact that I was the guy that the biggest mastermind in the business ever chose to do that. Still, yeah, you think about that sometimes. It's very surreal. It's, it's, it's crazy you that know? we were just the, the idiots in an empty building. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, the fact that you know, uh, the two of us came out of that camp... And both went to the top of the top in different ways. I mean, obviously, you talk about Undisputed Champion, but even yourself, one of the most technically sound wrestlers that people will say, oh, Lance Storm. 
Atlanta, mm-hmm. who's the most technically sound? That's everything is cr- Atlanta Storm, you know. And now being the, this trainer here, as as people say, you know, who should I go train with, Lance Storm? And that's pretty cool. Twenty four years ago to now. Yeah. And the one thing I'd like you to, to confirm now, because I've told this story a million times, so you can ask Jericho it was the truth. I'm hoping you remember. But in camp, when we were talking at the time in 1990, I said I would rather be a Brad Armstrong than an Ultimate Warrior. I do remember that. That I wanted to be respected as a skilled worker more I, so than world champ. I honestly remember that. It's, to me, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking that some you might have said that a couple times, and Arn Anderson was a name that you used as well. Okay. Definitely remember you saying that. that Definitely. It was. It, I wanted to be good at the job and respected at the job more so than I want to be the world champ. Yeah. And I think also, too, because in 1990, the goal of being world champ for a guy that was, you know, my size was a bit crazy. So people were laughing. Now, granted, us. a lot of people did. Like, you've heard a lot of the, oh, it was my lifelong dream. And I'm like, you must have been insane. Because in 85, <laughs> you thought you were going to be world champion? See, my dream, my biggest thing was I wanted to be the Intercontinental Champion. Because that's... That was Ricky Steamboat. It's still a big-ass dream for yeah, a kid sure. at that point, but, but it was realistic. once again, Bret Hart, those were guys that I'd seen. Tito Santana. Eye, right? Santana you know, and Sean you know, Michaels. And there used to be this billboard in front of our high school that would say, you know, big math test this week, study hard, or congratulations to valedictorian so-and-so. I wanted, in my mind, to someday see congratulations to WWE Intercontinental Champion, you know, Chris Irvin, whatever my name was going to be at the time. Yeah. You know, um, which is another great story. Uh, another great story. Yeah. So we had to, uh, and actually, just to finish that story, they did put that up there. I did some interview in Winnipeg ten years ago, and they put that up on the Westwood Collegiate sign. Oh, really? But I never took a picture of it. My hometown won't acknowledge me. <laughs> One of my high school teachers has been trying his damnedest to get me in the North Bay Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. And North Bay, Ontario, is like you know fifty thousand people, right? Um, at best, and they've got some rather questionable big name stars athletes in it hockey players maybe or there's uh, you know there's a couple guys that were in the cfl for a week yeah. and there's probably a couple hockey players there's a few olympians yeah. that certainly deserve to be in and are big name athletes but they've got some that you know aren't that impressive and there's one or two guys on that committee that just pro wrestling is not a sport he doesn't go in yeah and it's like which is so close-minded it's so typical of of the prejudice against wrestling you know whether it's a sport or not you are the most famous person from north bay whether they want to admit it or not, all they have to do is just look around, Google Lance Storm, and see how many people in how many countries know who you are. Yeah, and I even did up a – because uh, Larry Tugas was my, my coach and the, the high school teacher that's been doing it. And it's like I did up a package with, you know, photos and videos and, mm. and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, as far as, you know, being a, you know, a champion in Japan and in Europe sure, and everywhere. WCW, WWE, it's like I've been in everywhere the- but Mexico. Yeah, but even in the WWE for how many years you, you were on? Three years? Five years? No, it was six. three and a half, four. So let's say four years. That type of coverage, you were on TV around the world. I mean, Thailand, you know, every country that has a TV, you were on it. Yeah, there's like, I don't know, there's like 200 countries or something in yeah. the WWE television That's gets right. to. That's right. You know, I, I say that, you know, Great Kali, the most famous Indian star of all time, worldwide Indian star is Great Kali. Tell me a bigger Indian star than, than, than Great Kali. Yeah, unless you maybe get in, in unless you get India. into the Dalai Lama or something. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, first entertainment, yeah. right? It was a couple of years ago when that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, came out, and that girl was Ramia Vardolos or whatever who the star was. She wrote it, and she directed. It. She was from Winnipeg, and they're like, you know, Winnipeg's most famous, son, you know, daughter, and you know, most famous person, in Winnipeg. And I was like, that's bull. Yeah, 
No way. And of course now she's you know no one knows who she is now. I, I don't think it, I don't think people realize how global WWE is. No, you're right. Like it's hundreds and hundreds of countries. Yeah. It's like there's very few places in the world you can go that people aren't going to recognize Chris Jericho. Absolutely. Now I've been off TV for a decade so they'll, you know, I'll slip through the cracks, but it's like when you when you're on WWE television, you can't go anywhere. I'll get a text from like, you know, uh, a friend of mine in a band that say a guy actually guitar player in Dream Theater a couple months ago. Hey, I'm in uh, I'm in Taiwan sitting in the airport lounge and you're on TV with Taiwanese subtitles and you know, you just people just see it everywhere. You know, once again the fact that 24 years ago we started here, it's just kind of uh and, and even, especially on a Canadian front, it's like, I wrestled at Skydome in front of 68,000 people yeah. or whatever it was. It's like, that's a big deal. Yes. From Canadian sports, there's not really a bigger place to be. No. It's about as big a crowd as any athlete has ever performed in, in Canada. Especially in Canada. Bigger than you get for the, for the Great Cup, I'd say. Well, yeah, because we can use the field. They can. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, there's another name I want to I want to just uh, touch upon. That actually was the guy who lasted the third longest in the business was uh, Vic DeWild. <laughs> Who, when I met him, that's when it kicked into me that I could not believe how small everyone was. Okay, he looked, this guy looked like Andy Kaufman, Latka in Taxi. Yeah. And uh, he came up and introduced himself. Super personable guy, but just a small, like kind of a cherub face, big face, chipmunk cheeks. Gosh, he must have weighed about 150 pounds. If and that. he had come, he was a, a championship archer. And it professional made archer. the natural transition from archery to pro wrestling. Exactly. The thing that drove me crazy about him, and that's, again, it was, it was 1990, the, the Hearts, Ed, Keith, and were still protecting the business. Right. Like our first, I don't know how many weeks or whatever it was, they were still perpetuating the, the, the industry was real. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I'm just in the back of my head, and I'm like, are these people crazy? Because yeah. I, I hadn't officially been smart about, but I knew what was what. I didn't know how, yeah. but I knew what was what. And... Vic went out of his way to play into that. And it's like every conversation he had, he was about how real it was. And he was looking forward to it. And I'm just looking at this guy going, if this is real, you're dead. <laughs> Unless you've like been studying Gracie's jiu-jitsu that we don't know about back in the day or something. I was just like, it's like, I'd kill you in a second. It's like, and you're here thinking you're going to be a professional yeah. fighter. And he had two ideas, too. He had his gimmick. He was either going to be Timmy the Carpenter. Or Dr. Love. Or Dr. Love. And Timmy the Carpenter would be a carpenter who actually would measure his opponents. And, and, and then, his finish was going to be the, he'd hold the hammer by the head with the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the handle of the hammer on his forearm and clothesline. Clothesline, that would be it. That right. would be his big thing. And he'd come to the ring to taking care of business. Yeah, BTO. And then the other one was Dr. Love, which he would be, uh, I guess, a, a Lothario, like a stud. a I'm, assum I'm assuming a perverted uh, gynecologist. I don't know. <laughs> My dad still calls him, Dr. How's Dr. Love doing? You ever talked to Dr. Love? I ended up uh, hooking up with him in ECW. Oh, wow. Um, he was, I think, selling Mazdas in Hamilton or something. <laughs> and he came to the Detroit show. Oh, cool. And that's where I actually got the, the black and white class photo that's uh, hanging on the wall oh, over the classic there. of our era. He yeah. had it and brought me a copy of it. Wow. And yeah, he had, he came to two or three of the ECW shows and I talked to him then. Have no idea where he is now, but he was he was selling Mazdas in uh, Well, and I say that he lasted uh, long because you and I obviously made it and he was the guy that actually continued to work for the first few months as Dr. Love. He would come to the ring as Dr. Love and then and then he became a manager Benson Cyril. Oh, yes. And the reason for that was that was his actual middle name. His name was Victor Benson Surreal DeWild. Yeah, he, he managed on the first show we had. He did. As Sir 
Sir Benson Sorrell. Sir Benson Sorrell with a neck brace. He know, wasn't a bad manager. He did find a little bit of a niche. And also, I, I wanted to finish up, Wilf actually did do a taping as a job guy somewhere where close to where he lives. So he fulfilled his dream Did he well. really? He did. And oh I, I can't remember who told it to him. I thought it was you, but if it wasn't you, somebody else told me that he actually did do a job on TV or something. <laughs> so he, he got his goal. So there was four of us that actually went on and did something. Well, there was um, Deb... Uh, Kumquat face from your book. Oh my God, she Deb. did have a few matches. Did she really? She in BC. She packed up and left because I did a match in BC with with Don Callis. You know, three. You know, ninety three, ninety five, somewhere in there. I went and did a Cloverdale show for Tim Flowers, mm-hmm. and she was there. And she's wow. Like, and I was just like, wow. Yeah, exactly. And, and this was when, like, you know, d- there was no divas back then. There were female wrestlers, and these were hard looking girls. Like, they were either lesbians or just, I can't remember ever seeing, like, I remember Casey Houston, like, oh, she was, like, pr- pushed as the, the pretty girl, and she was, like, average at best. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Deb. She she showed up and she's small and just not uh, not a striking woman at all. Came with her boyfriend. They got in a fight the first day. She kicked him out. Didn't he pull a knife on Ed? Ed had knife to on kick Ed. The, Ed out of, the knife out of his hands. Yeah, uh, and uh, I remember the one day she showed up and her hair was all butchered cut. <laughs> and I said, "What did you do?" And she said, "Well, she had dyed blonde hair." And she said, "I was trying to cut the roots out." No, she was trying to cut the dark out. She's trying to cut the dark out, which, which is, is essentially the roots. the roots. Yes. <laughs> did you think about dyeing the rest of it? But. Yeah, uh, yeah, she was. Um, I don't know why I was calling her cumquat or something like that. It was just cumquat face because she was oh, not a feeling of yeah, and had about the IQ of a. And you know, she read well. that book. I'm sure she did, but I had to tell like it is, man. I mean, they're like you said. You know, sometimes I remember going to like really bad strip clubs back in the day, and you see like an ugly stripper, and be like, you know, what are you thinking? Like, it's not the business for you. Yeah. Same thing with with, with wrestling. I remember the one time that the year after you started doing some training at the Hart Brothers camp. And I remember you sitting down with another group of guys that basically looked the same as our camp and asking them, oh, have, you, have any of you actually ever been to a gym? <laughs> to which the one guy actually said no. <laughs> have you ever seen the inside of a gym? One last Deb story, though, that I thought was funny. After our, Jericho, Chris and I had our very first match against each other uh, mm-hmm. in Pinoca, Alberta. Um, a, dis- a decisive uh, booked draw. Yeah. And Ten minute draw. I remember after it was like the week after whatever came back to the Willie, no doubt, because that's where I, I stayed there for. I lived there for almost a year. Wow. Um, with Vic. <laughs> and she's oh, I heard you your first match. I'm like, yeah, she had to go. And it was good. She says, well, who won? I said, well, we had a draw. She says, really? I would have thought you could have beaten him. <laughs> and keep in mind, she had been smartened up and had worked matches in yeah, camp at this point. She was in the camp with us. Yeah. And I was just looking at her. I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I would have thought you could have beat him. Well, and when we and we started training too, and I always say this, uh, I know you feel the same way. If you weren't in that camp, I never would have made it because nobody was good, and it was just basically you and me. And to Ed's credit, he used to let us come back at night, or he would let us come in Saturdays and Sundays because it was a five day a week thing, three hours a day, and then we would like you know kind of kayfabe come in on the weekends or stay later. And I, I think he. I think for whatever reason, because um, Frank Sisson, the guy that owned the Silver Dollar, liked mm. Ed and liked us, I think because that room wasn't booked, I think he also kept the ring up for a few weeks afterwards and let us come he back did. in a few days. He did, yeah. So we, we did get extra time, and, and thankfully, too, because he, he could have uh, forced us to work with everybody. It's like almost every drill, every match, it's like we just worked with each other. And with Brad Young, who was the, the, the hands-on trainer. Hands-on trainee, A yeah. smaller guy that was really good at the mechanics. Yeah, he was wrestling. tiny, but a really good... Yeah, um, yeah. If he wouldn't have been there, we would have been screwed. That's right. Because no. he at least showed us the technique on what to do. Right. But 
the thing that's crazy too back then when you really think about it, it's like we were shown how to bump and how to execute a few moves and our holds and so forth. But other than that, we weren't taught how to work or no. ring psychology or anything. Well, there was no psychology. There was no, I mean, I think we messed around with interviews, just having fun, but there was no interview class or psychology or all that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, I think the only psychology we were given is if you and I are wrestling and I'm winning, I'll give you 60% of the match so we both look good. That was, that was the extent of our lesson. <laughs> well, I remember the first day we went in there, because like you mentioned, there, there was a lot of calisthenics. I mean, doing 500 Hindu squats a day, stretching. Remember the stretching? We was like crying. Like just, yeah, because they would forcibly stretch you. They would yes. grab a leg each and force you into the splits. Right. And, and the, the butterfly stretch where you put your feet together, pull them in tight, and then they'd stand on your knees. And yeah, stand on your knees and push them down to the ground. So just basically, I think, disciplinary things to see, like, do these guys have any heart? You know, do they really? Because remember the first day and the only day Keith Hart ever came in, uh, we were in there and, and right off the bat, he, he, he threw me off the ropes and said, take a backdrop. And keep on, we have never been in a ring. <laughs> Didn't so know anything. I had done some wrestling uh, in my own little wrestling league called the BTWF, which we talk about on this show. And Wallace and I loved Owen Hart, so we would try and do all Owen Hart stuff. And he would always give me a backdrop, and I could do it and stand on my feet. So when Keith gave me a backdrop, the only thing I knew how to do was flip as far as I could and land on my feet. Do you remember this? Yeah. Hey, Gearbox, take a backdrop. <laughs> Gearbox. That was a big insult. <laughs> So when I landed and stood on my feet, I remember thinking, okay, like, this is going to impress him. He's going to love this. Like, I'm going to be the star pupil. And he did not like that. I think he hated you from that day on. He put me in a stretch hold, and I remember he got me down and shoved my, the bottom of my jaw and the top of my head down so I could feel my teeth bending in against each other. And I think the only thing that saved me was I, I couldn't scream because I was too surprised. <laughs> and typical hearts, they got off on people in pain. I just think he was like, oh, this guy's in scream. I'll let him go. But, yeah, he hated me from that day forward. Yeah, it's just you were supposed to crash and burn, I guess. And so he, guess. he probably had some kind of line of this is why, you know, you have to listen to us because this is how dumb you'll look. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you don't know what you're doing, but in hindsight, if you you could it's have insane. you could have fallen through the ropes, landed on your head, and knocked yeah. yourself out, and had a concussion, and been done. Even hitting the ropes and then taking a backdrop. I mean, I could, who knows? Could have broke your leg. Could have broke your broke neck. Neck yeah. easily. So right off the bat, you know, the Hart Brothers camp with no Hart Brothers and no real students to speak of, and it was you and I. And then suddenly, about a month or two after our our, our, our camp ended, we're booked on our first match in Pinocchio. Do you, what are your memories of, of that? I remember being really nervous, and I remember thinking, "A, it was like a big like I think it was a big building, and there was lots of people there, and it's it's there's it probably a, maybe seventy five people there yeah. in a tiny little dump." <laughs> but I remember being really nervous, and then afterwards, I just remember that you were just the most charismatic man on the history of the world, <laughs> and if we'd had it to watch back, it probably would have. Thought you look like an idiot, but well, I like, think we do have that. We match. do have it back, yeah. but I haven't watched it in a long time. You know, it was it was it was a pretty good match for two guys in their first match, but we yeah. had worked it out a lot. You know, not all that much though. I I remember because we'd wrestled each other a lot, but I yeah, think we yeah. only had two planned spots, and only one of them happened. One was the 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 one that the Sean Michaels Sean Michaels that made to off. the WrestleMania. That's build. right, up and over, hip toss. Uh, reverse victory roll, yeah. Frankensteiner. Basically. And then the other one, which you may not remember, but I, I remember someone watching it because like, why was there so many hip tosses in that match? And we had a spot where I'm supposed to try to hip toss you. I think you block it, counter, and do the the one X Pac always does with the and leg on the back. Over, head. Yeah. You flipped over onto your back, uh, back flip onto your feet, and then you were going to hip toss me, and I was going to do the handspring land on my feet, and we'd square right. off because we're so damn cool. <laughs> and 
I remember calling it. It's like hip toss spot, and I sent you off, and you obviously didn't hear me. You just see me doing a hip toss, so you take the hip toss. But I was expecting you to block, so I didn't really throw it. So it's this lame, <laughs> weak hip toss, and you take a crappy bump. And being green and stupid, I just picked you up again and went, hip toss spot, and did it again. And you took the same bump again. <laughs> I think I tried three times. I probably went blank and just forgot because, like you said, I remember showing up there. It was a show uh, promoted by a guy called Bob Puppets. Yep. I think that was actually his real name. That was his real name. name. Bob yeah. the Judge Bryant Bob the Judge was his Bryant wrestling was his name. Wrestling name. And uh, it was the Pinocchio Moose Hall, which was kind of, I guess, uh, like a veterans hall or something. And we were upstairs changing. You had to walk down the stairs. And I was really sad before because they wanted to call me Cowboy Chris Jericho. Now let's talk about the names, too. Uh, we, they decided we needed names. And I had always decided that I, uh, originally when I was a kid, I wanted to be, because uh, I loved the band Striper, Christian metal band. I was going to be Christian Chris Irvin and throw Bibles into the crowd. Like wow. Then uh, there was a Wasp song called Jack Action. And there was a movie called Action Jackson. So I thought, Jack Action, that's the name. So I was practicing it writing on my uh, you know, binder or whatever it was, and you saw it. <laughs> I, I don't remember the occasion of what we were doing, but yeah, I saw the name and was just like, that's awful. You can't use that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I'm, just not, I'm not serious. I'm just pretending. But I remember being so crushed, like Lance doesn't like this name. And you, you've always been a very honest guy, and you basically said, that's terrible. It's a terrible name. You can't yes, use that. I've, I've, I've always <laughs> spoke my mind, sometimes to my detriment, but at least you always know where you stand with me. Yeah, so I was like, and then at this point, we're like, we're almost time to, you need to have a name by like this afternoon to put it on the programs and the posters and the yeah. ads. You know, there's going to be like commercials and yeah. you know, <laughs> we're going to be big stars. Big stars. And uh, there, there was a, a band called Halloween that had a record called Walls of Jericho, a band from Germany. And I saw the cassette and I remember thinking at one point, because there used to be a really bad comic book character called Jericho. He was a teen titan. And I thought about Christian Chris Jericho. It's kind of like the Christian theme. But I'd forgotten. And then when I saw that Halloween album cover, it was like Chris Jericho. And then I, I remember saying like, what do you think about Chris Jericho? And you're like, well, that's cool. Yeah, and, and I, I think Ed liked it because it sounded Western to him. Yeah, yeah, it sounded Western. You could be cowboy Chris Jericho. And I don't know if you remember this, but one of the reasons why he wanted to make you a cowboy is because Chris Benwell was working in Japan at the time as the Pegasus kid. Right. Well, Ed got the Wrestling Observer at the time and apparently didn't read particularly well and always thought it was the Pecos kid. And he thought <laughs> Benwell was doing a cowboy gimmick. <laughs> so here's a guy from Calgary named Chris that was a big star as the Pecos kid, so he wanted to turn you into a cowboy gimmick to follow suit, not knowing that it was the Pegasus kid. And I was so dis I was so scared and sad and angry, and I remember calling Brett Como, who was the guy who'd been working for a little while. Uh, kind of, he was always a cool guy, kind of a smaller guy, but pretty agile worker, and I was like, Como, they want me to be cowboy Chris Jericho, what do I do? And he's like, don't do it. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't do it. You can say no. <laughs> yeah, so... But I'm laughing that I told Ed I didn't want to do it. Can you imagine, like, if, you know, in different circumstances, telling someone for your first match you don't want to do the gimmick? Like, if some kid told me that I was promoting, I'd make him wear one of them giant Dumb and Dumber cowboy hats, <laughs> you know, take a, a donkey to the ring. I'd just say, no, you're doing it. Well, I remember, too, I don't think you said it to him, but I remember you saying to me, it's like, you know, I'll quit the business before I'm a cowboy. And it's like, <laughs> have you had your first match yet? You're threatening to quit the business. And I was announced, though, so they dropped the cowboy gimmick, but I was still Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. Wyoming. Yeah. So tell us about how, how your name uh, came to play. I don't even remember. I remember us being in a car talking about it, and I had no freaking idea. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not particularly artistic and creative when it comes up to names. I had no idea. 
and I don't even know who suggested Storm. And my middle initial is actually T. It's Lance Timothy Evers. Mm. And for some reason, we added the Storm. It was like, oh, it could be Lance T. Storm. And it was like, I wasn't serious. I don't know if it was me that said it. It's like, oh, well, we could always say the T stands for Thunder. <laughs> Just because I thought it was stupid. I wasn't serious. Um, and at the time, too, I remember thinking it's like, well, I don't like it, but who cares? It's not like it's going to last. I can always change it. Yeah. But... I started getting known as it and getting booked as it. It's like, well, I can't change it now. That's right. And I've never liked it because I always thought it sounded fake. <laughs> but 24 there's years. a lot of storms, right? Devin Storm and oh, James Storm. Yeah, there's hundreds of them. There's a Nikki Storm. There was a, a JW Storm for a, like a week in WCW. So, but yeah, I remember the T. I remember Ed saying that to me when we first, you know, it's like, what you, what, 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 like I'm Chris Jericho. Okay, well, what do you got? Lance T. Storm. I remember being like, and the T stands for thunder. (laughs) Looking like he just created like the greatest thing of all time. The greatest gimmick of all time. Do you remember this? I remember at one point you had drawn some pictures. Uh, There was a band called Queensryche that had this logo that was kind of a a cross type of thing, but kind of a bat as well. And you had seen this logo and really liked it. And you were looking at doing a masked gimmick with that. And you were going to call yourself the Star Child. Do you remember this? I don't remember the name, but yeah. I do remember designing the the masked bodysuit. Yeah. And part of it was, again, it was a mark for Liger, I think, where I had seen that outfit, and I thought that would be interesting. And also, too, I think I was probably realizing I wasn't really outgoing and personality-wise, and I think maybe that was something that I thought maybe would, would help me mm-hmm. with a gimmick or a character in the mask. I don't remember the name, but I do remember the, the drawing. I think it was blue and yellow. Yeah. I remember Star Child, because I was like, well, Paul Stanley's the Star Child. And the, and the I wouldn't have known yeah. that then. <laughs> but um, uh, so then we have our first match, and then what are your memories of like those early years? Because we worked kind of small shows in Calgary, and then the big thing at the time was to try and get into Winnipeg, where Tony Candela was running his shows. Like, that was kind of like the big time from where we were. Yeah, and to get there, you know, was kind of hard. But we we ended up t- cracking in there, but working around here for a while first too. Yeah, I, I remember. At the time, I, I didn't really think about it, but looking back, it's like, you must have been really frustrated and miserable in that Ed Langley liked me, he didn't like you. That's and, right, and yeah. He had a big part in most of the shows we worked. And in hindsight, I think we, like, we were doing two out of three fall tags where we're winning two out of three, and it's like, you're taking the fall, and I'm scoring both victories. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... And when you're, when you're starting, you think about that. Like, Lance gets to win again. Yeah. Two yeah. out of the three pinfalls, I score, and they take the fall on you. <laughs> or even our first match, and it's the absurdity of booking when you realize how little these people knew. It's like, we're the two young, new guys starting out, so they give us a draw, which is fine. But then there's a Royal Rumble main event on the show. And they said, well, Lance and Chris are two good, young-looking babyfaces. One of them should win. I get the nod, obviously, because Ed had say in it. So it's in hindsight. It's like, why didn't we give Chris the win on the match? Because I'm winning the main event. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. And then because I won that Royal Rumble main event, the next show we did at Pinoca, I'm getting a heavyweight title shot um, against Earthquake Muldoon. And I'm winning the CWC heavyweight title. And you're in some really, really bad (laughs) tag match in the middle. Right, and man. when you're that green, winning a championship on a show feels like it's a big deal. In hindsight, who cares? Well, but but all of that does make a difference when you're first starting. And you're mm-hmm. right. I remember I used to I used to hate not hate you, but you know, obviously we were friends. But I hated the fact that everything you did was good, like everything. Like you remember, you could catch the foot and do a backflip, and I tried it and landed my head a hundred times. Tore a chunk of hair it. out once. Tore a chunk of my hair out once in the lawn. I just was like, if I can't do this backflip, I'll never make it. You could jump straight to the top turnbuckle. 
I decided, look, well, I have to do that too. You know, I couldn't do it. One that I always remember is a leg drop. You could do a picture perfect leg drop. I still can't do one to this day. And I remember you'd always do one, land, and then just look at me like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was like, mother of God, damn it, you know. And Ed really did like you best. And you could, and those things, you know, you, you do keep track of that stuff when you're starting. Yeah, it, but it's funny because I've since you because you, you wrote about this in your book, I get a lot of people like, "Oh, did you know Chris was jealous of you when you were starting out?" I'm like, I was too busy being jealous of him for his personality and <laughs> and, and and energy. It's when you're starting out, you see your holes. Yeah. Well, if you're good, because the only way you're going to get good is to see that your 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 shortcomings and right. improve on them. Where if I just like, look, I'm the greatest athlete here. I'm so much better. Then I would have never improved. Well, because we were both fans and knew what it take, took to make it in wrestling, and we both liked the same guys who had workability and personality and you had more of one and i had more of the other but we were able to push each other to mm-hmm. get better like i said if you weren't there it'd be like vince you know now it's like you you're the WWE's top what am i gonna do who cares but yeah. it's like i have to get better because he's better than me you know yeah because you would have been so far ahead of the curve if i wasn't there right that it's like every movie oh, i'm doing it way better than everybody well, i wouldn't have known either i wouldn't have gotten better because there would have been nobody to work with that that could do anything yeah but also too i think you would have you wouldn't have pushed yourself and that's really yeah, where you right. ended up getting because you just continually push yourself throughout your career and again i was like, I was like man he's got so much more personality he can talk he wants to cut a promo it's like man i need to find some <laughs> yeah. of that but i do it took remember, me a long time to find some of that but. i do remember that first match in pinoca when i dropped like a, an elbow on your arm or something and some kid went like you know do it again or, or, I, or I might have said yeah should i do it again and then pe- like Five people went, yeah, and just thinking like, oh, my God, I'm Hulk Hogan. You wanted me to do it again. Ah! I mean, what was like, yeah, do it again. But, yeah, so I, I always wanted to have that personality of it, and, and the crowd was always kind of a, a big thing for me. But there was a lot of shows where there was no crowd. You remember that show we worked? Was it like in Rimby where there was seven people in the crowd? I think there was one in Olds, at Olds College where we drew like eight people Yeah, because they ran head-to-head with like campus beer and pizza night on the other side of campus. <laughs> And there was eight Same people. Same time, there. eight people showed up. Yeah. yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it's it's a lot harder to work in front of a small crowd than it is to work in front of a big one. It is. One other memory I had just from camp. Yeah, that I, I always tell my students about. It was the very first time I ever worked anybody. We were learning turnbuckles, and they always had the back door open for air. And there was an older couple walking by that stopped and looked in. And again, we had been smartened up at this point in time, but we we're still trying to protect the business. And Ed saw the old couple looking through the door. And just before he whipped me into the buckle, he says, there's fans watching sell this big. And I took a really hard turnbuckle went down and they gasped. And at that point, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's like, I made that happen. <laughs> Master of puppets, right? Yeah, it really was. And it's like, that's when I was like, okay, this job is the coolest job ever. And I can still hear that because those rings, they were good rings, but there was a little bit more... I'm not going to say rickety, but not as solid. When you hit that turnbuckle, I might even remember the one that you actually were talking about because I was probably jealous that you did such a good job. <laughs> was that when you hit the corner, the, the ring would actually go like, Ching! like it would move and make that sound. Like, Ching! And it's like you don't really get that now because the rings are so solid. You know? Stampede rings were the best turnbuckles. Yeah. And the big thing is, instead of turnbuckles attaching the rope to the post, Stampede had chain. Mm, that's right. And the chain would go through the post. You'd yeah. put a pin in it, and the chain would dangle down the back side of the post. So if you hit the buckle really hard, the chain would get slack. And then when it bounced back, you get a ching. And then if you hit it hard enough, the post would move, and the chain would rattle against the side of the post. Yeah, yeah. And I sw- swear to this day, you look at all the best turnbuckle takers in the business, they came through Stampede. Mm-hmm. Because you could get a really good reaction out of point. them. 
It's a great point. There was a real style of Stampede Wrestling had, you know, um, and the, I don't know why. Maybe it's the way that we were trained, or because I remember Ed, even though we're kind of laughing at his training abilities, he had some kind of like a book or some kind of a list or something that Stu had come up with that here's how you do your training. Yeah, he had his binder yeah. with a little bit of a you know week one, week two, right? And it was really it was good in that it. It just had all the basics covered. It's like, okay, you need yeah. to teach them how to take their, their, you know, these bumps. Once they can do these bumps, you need to teach them how to run ropes. Is where mm-hmm. you, once you do this, it's like you can do your, your mat wrestling, for lack of a different term. And once you've covered your basic takedowns and mat work and stuff, then you can move on to your arm drags and your hip tosses. And it's a really good progression. And it's one that I keep to this day. Okay, right. And I, I think that's why, like, I run my school in sessions. You know, January, May, and September, a class starts. People come in as a group. And I really think that's best because you really bond as a group when you all start together and yeah. work through. And you can, you can start at step one and work your way through where there's a lot of schools that it's just it's open year-round. You can join anytime you want. Mm-hmm. And you just have to blend into wherever they are at the time. Yeah. Ours was a specific program. Yeah, and that's and what mine too, is. Right. And I think you, you avoid missing things because mm-hmm. there's a lot of where you just show up. And it was like that a bit in OVW when I was teaching. Occasionally they'd, hey, you know, we've signed, actually Dolph Ziggler. You know, we've signed this Nick Nemeth kid. He's out of amateur, work him into the class. And it's like, well, I've got guys with three years experience here and I've got to work him into the class. You really try to rush him in to get him caught up enough mm-hmm. that he can take part. And you sometimes miss things along the way. Right, right. Um, so I like the structure of beginning, middle, and end. And I follow, for the most part, that structure of, all right, we do our, mm-hmm. do our rolls, do our bumps, do our mat work, and then progress forward. Well, you talked about the bonding of the class. And then you and I definitely had the bond because we trained together. And, you know, we had known each other and talked, you know. And when I first started working with well, both of us, I would always try, like, if I got a booking, I would try and get you a you booking. You got me a lot of bookings. Yeah, because I was always more of a social guy. And plus, I had a car. So I was driving around, and you know, I became friends with Como, became friends with Mike Lazanski, who was really connected. Uh, uh, and so Mike would get gigs, and then he would get me in, and then I would try and get you in. And I remember sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But Mike saying, "Listen, man, like you're not going to be a tag team with that guy forever." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What do you mean? Like, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Because we were going to be a tag team because that's just what you did. You do mm-hmm. friends a tag team thing. But what bookings did you get? Because at the beginning, it was Winnipeg was one." Um, Winnipeg, you got me into, um, CNWA, cause we were right. on Ed's list of guys. So the CNWA wouldn't use us at first, or Ed told us we weren't supposed to work for them. They had TV. So many politics, like it was a small yeah, town politics. 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 So we worked yeah. for, you know, Fred Jung and Bob puppets doing indie shows. Mm-hmm. And you through Lozanski got in with, uh, the CNWA and you did the first match, whatever show you, you did, you did the first match with them on mm-hmm. television. And then you said, hey, we did the first one. Can you bring my partner in? I'd like to do a tag team. And I got booked there because of you. Right. I got booked in Winnipeg because of you. Um, I got booked in war because of you. Um, so there was a few of them. There was a few. And I think also, too, and I, I, I also lecture, because you were more socially outgoing, um, the, because the in- industry was tighter, it was a little clicky. And it's like, if the boys go out, you have to go out. You had to socialize. Mm-hmm. And I was so not that. I didn't drink. And also stubborn and stupid with a, well, I'm going to make sure everybody knows I don't drink. And I'm going <laughs> to yeah. put my foot down. And there was a lot of um, leeway, I think, you cut me. Because, you know, we'd go to Winnipeg and everybody's like, hey, let's all go to the bar. And I'd go back to the hotel like an idiot. And you guys <laughs> would all go out. And I think there was sort of a lot of, what the hell's up with your partner? And you're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just his deal. And like you said, I was really 
good in the ring. And I think I picked up in the ring quicker than you did. So there was that bonus that if you booked us as a tag team, it's like you got to work with me and party with you. <laughs> and it's like it worked out yeah. well for everybody else. Like, well, we can have good matches with these two guys. And Chris is a lot of fun to party with. <laughs> and I think you cut me some slack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember there was some people that thought that first that you were kind of a snobby guy or whatever because you just naturally, I don't know if it's shy or just more of a quiet type guy. And also, if you're in there with me, who's the exact opposite, you know, loudmouth all the time. Uh, so there was a real kind of distance between the two of us as far as that went. But hey, let, let's stop it for now. We're going to pick this up again on Friday. We're going to talk about our first trip to Japan, what happened there, how we ended up in Smoky Mountain Wrestling with Jim Cornette as the Thrill Seekers tag team, doing such thrill-seeking events as jumping on Velcro walls and uh, figure skating, and that's a true story. Lots of ground to cover with my old tag team partner, the first friend I ever made in this business, Lance Storm. We're going to get to that on Friday, so make sure you come back and join us. All right, thanks to Lance Storm, an amazing part one. So many funny stories. There's nothing that I love doing this show, and I love having old friends on. You get a chance to connect, uh, catch up. And the funny thing is this, this interview was taped uh, months ago, and uh, Lance has been bugging me ever since. When is my show going to be on? When is my show going to be on? When will my show be on? Of course, he, actually, he didn't really care, but I keep bugging him because he was scheduled to, to be on like three or four times. I kept having to bump him. Like a, like a guest on The Tonight Show. Uh, but thanks to Lance. We will see him again on Friday. And we will see you on the Cinderblock Party World Tour 2015. Fozzie and the Dirty Youth. And that gets started March 4th in Belfast, Ireland. You do not want to miss this. This is the show that Beyond Magazine said was the most entertaining live gig they had ever seen. That's Fozzie, Chris Jericho, Rich Ward, Frank Fonsere, Billy Gray, and uh, guest bass player Corey Lowry. Stuck Mojo will be joining us on the tour as Jeff Rouse had previous commitments with Loaded and Duff McKagan. We got Corey in the fold. It's going to be smoking March 4th in Belfast. Five, Cork. Six, Dublin. Seven, Nottingham, England. Eight, Wolverhampton. Nine, Manchester. Ten, Glasgow, Scotland. Eleven, London. Twelve, Bristol. Thirteen, Exeter. Fourteen, Southampton. Fifteen, Brighton. Then we head over to Paris, France on the 17th. 18, Pretel, Switzerland. 19, Munich. 20, Mannheim, Germany. 21st, Bochum, Germany. Get your tickets to the shows and VIP packages. Come hang out with me. Come hang out with Fozzie. All that information at FozzieRock.com. It's going to be the greatest tour of the year. Do not miss it. Thank you guys for checking it out. Thanks for shopping through my Amazon links, for helping me do this twice a week for free. Uh, go to the Amazon links on PodcastOne.com. You click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Then you click on Talk is Jericho. You see all three of my links. Amazon UK, Amazon USA, Amazon Canada A. All right. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show to help us out and to keep the ball rolling, to keep the long train running. I know I'm doing my best to help you out. Another great show. We'll see you on Friday in the meantime. And in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. We'll see you for part two of Lance Storm on Friday. All right, we'll see you. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. Well, we love you. Let me tell you something, people. You have made us feel awesome tonight.